Hey, I'm thankful that you're here. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you for spending some time here at uh, a church, which is just a reminder of what Jesus is and who and why he came to this earth. He came to bring you peace. He came to bring you peace of mind and peace of heart. And that starts with having your sins forgiven, knowing that you haven't been right, you're not right, that there's guilt in your life, there's things that you haven't lived up to, there's some standards that you haven't uh, made the grade on, and God says, you know what? I knew that was going to happen. That's why I sent you Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. It means God with us. He's present and he's in this place. He's in the room. He's in the car with you. He's at your workplace. He's there. It's just a matter of inviting him in and welcome him into every situation of your life. And that, that child that we celebrate uh, here in the next coming two days is also a, grew up to be a man, a man that gave his life for you. And today, it would be me, bring me no greater joy and God no greater joy that you give your heart over to Jesus, that you find peace this season, a peace like I can't explain away. You find security in heaven with the Lord forever. You know, last week we had talked about being burdened by busyness, and I think that resounded in our hearts because we know deep down that we are just way too busy. And we've overcommitted ourselves, and in our overcommitment, we've recognized that we've given ourselves over to so many wrong things that now it's hard to prioritize and give our life over to the right thing. Like we just have so much on our plate and so much in our hands, and so we think, say things like to God, God, give me some peace. And we wonder where it's at. We like, God, why don't, you, why don't you just release some peace into my life here? And it just doesn't immediately come, and we wonder, God, are you really able to bring peace to my life? And what we discovered last week and how we concluded the sermon was like this. Peace is not found in a season. It's found in God's Son. And we recognize that peace is not going to happen on the things that happen around us. It's going to happen with what happens within us. It's not about the people outside. It's about the person inside, and that's, that's Jesus. You see, Scripture had prophesied that we could have peace like we uh, can't explain away, but only can, uh, can really have an experience of. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9, there's some prophecies, kind of a foretelling about Jesus. A, a thousand years before Jesus was even born, he was talked about. And God had laid it on Isaiah to tell the people that you need to usher in someone into your life, this someone, because we can all use this someone. For to us a child is born, it says, to us a son has been given. Why don't you personalize it and say, for to you a child was born, uh, to you a son was given. And the government will be on his shoulders, which is a reference to meaning that everyone and everything will be under his authority, and he will be called, now listen to these titles of Jesus, wonderful counselor. Anybody in this room could use a good counselor for life? How about a wonderful counselor? A perfect counselor, I can. Mighty God. Anybody in here need some strength in their life? They, they need some resilience? They need some energy? How about going to the, the mighty God? Everlasting Father. Anybody need some family in here that will love them? I mean, just like really love, unconditional love. God says, I'll be your everlasting Father. I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to continue to walk with you in life. Even though you have letdowns, I'm not going to let you down. And then here's the title I want to focus on today, Prince of Peace. Anybody need some peace in their life? Yeah, that phrase, Prince of Peace, is really two words in the Hebrew. The words are sar, shalom. The word sar is to mean chief. It's to mean ruler. It's to mean the one in charge. Like there's no one else in charge but, but sar, God. Everything is under his control. It's where we get the word czar. You've ever heard the term czar for someone who leads a country, a czar? It's where the Romans got the term Caesar. He has the one that has all authority under him. They say, no, no, that's God. He's the one in charge. He is czar. He is in control. He is the chief. He is the commander. He is the general. 
But then there's shalom. You know the word shalom probably. It means peace. It means tranquility. It means completeness. It means wholeness. It means contentment. But at the bottom line, shalom means peace. And why I'm telling you this is Jesus does not possess peace. He is peace. You see, Jesus isn't just going to grant you peace when you ask. Lord, my life's out of control. I need some peace. He's saying, I am peace. Welcome me into your situation. Get me involved in your situation. You're saying, but it seems so small for a mighty God to be a part of. He says, no, 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 no. There is nothing so small. You're my kid. I want to be in this one with you. He's the one in charge of peace. He's the general of peace. Where he leads, there is peace. Where he is present, there is peace. Are you catching this? You know Jesus. You get to know peace. Now, here's the significance of why I'm teaching this, just this little Hebrew phrase and the understanding that Jesus does not possess peace. He is peace. Because we pray things like this. God, remove this pain from me. God, remove this problem from me. God, take away these people in my life. Then I will know peace. And God says, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. It's not the absence of something. See, peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. It's Jesus. So you can go through pain. You can go through problems. You can suffer through some problematic people and some pressures in life when you hit Jesus because there's peace there with Jesus. And peace is not the absence of something. God, remove this. It's the presence of someone. God, join me in this. Are you catching on to this now? The Prince of Peace has come to be in your world, to welcome him in. I'm saying make Jesus a part of every situation in life. Then you'll find peace. Then you'll find peace. But that's not how we pray. No, no, no. We pray things like this. God, I'm in financial distress right now. If you could just lessen these bills, take away these bills, if you could just... Get this out of my life. I'll have peace. No, no, God says, how about you welcome Jesus into your financial problems? Then you'll find peace. And maybe you'll even find financial solutions through the principles of God's word. We say things like, God, you know, my marriage is, is really rocky right now. If my spouse just wasn't here, like you go to a dark place and you think, if he or she was gone, I think I would be at peace. And God says, no, you got it all wrong. It's not the absence of someone. It's the presence of someone. It's Jesus. You get Jesus in your marriage, you'll have peace. Are you catching this? Some are like, are, but you haven't met the people at my job. And God says, no, Matt hasn't, but I have. And God says, you know what? You take me to that job and I'll have peace in your life. And it doesn't matter what kind of problematic people are there with you in the break room or on the floor or in the cubicle next to you. You bring Jesus into every situation. You're saying, but, but my family, my, my family's a nightmare. I've never felt love for my family. You bring Jesus into your family. And even though your family may be chaotic, you can have the calm that rests within you. Why? Because you brought Jesus with you. It's not the absence of someone. It's not the absence of something. It's not God take this pain from me, take this problem from me, take these pressures from me, take these people from me. God says, no, no, you just walk into every situation with Jesus because where there is Jesus, there is peace. You know how Jesus taught this? Jesus taught this like this. He said, you can only experience real and lasting peace when I'm in the situation. Only when I'm in the situation. Not the removal from something, not some kind of peace treaty, not some kind of like, I'll avoid them this season, not some kind of contract. Jesus says, you get me involved, and then you will have peace. You will have peace. Like true and lasting 
peace. It only comes through the presence of Jesus. It doesn't come from the absence of something, but through the presence of Jesus in every area of your life. You welcome Jesus into your situation. You welcome Jesus into the pressures, into the problems, into the pains, into your past. You welcome Jesus into all of the people that are problematic for you. And and, and Jesus begins to bring you peace. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to gift you something. I'm going to give, but for, to, to give something, you have to receive something. Jesus said, I'm going to gift you something. I'm leaving with you a gift, peace of mind and heart. Like we talked about last week, that doesn't come in a pill, it doesn't come in bottle, bottle form, that only comes through Jesus. And the peace I give, I love this phrasing, it isn't fragile. I love that. Like The peace that Jesus gives can stand under the weight of the stresses that you go through. It can stand under the weight of the pressures that you endure. The, the, the peace that Jesus gives is lasting and it's calming and it can go beyond any stress that you endure in life. It's different than the world's kind of peace. So don't be troubled or afraid. God's peace is going to last. It's going to be able to go beyond anything you've ever experienced. It's not fragile and God's peace is not a fraud. You welcome Jesus into every situation of your life and you will experience peace like, like I can't explain away. I, I, I just won't even try. Because the peace we're talking about today is not something that I can define. It's not something that I can explain away. Actually, in Philippians 4, in Philippians 4, it tells us what this kind of peace is. It's a peace that can only be experienced, but it can't be explained away. So you're going to have to step out and welcome Jesus into every situation. It's up to you. So you can experience this peace. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And, I love this, And the peace of God, now catch this this language, that transcends all understanding. It goes above your mind. It goes above my mind. I can't explain it away. You can't explain it away. You just got to experience this kind of peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. You got to get in Christ. You got to have him a part of every situation. And that peace will be there. But friends, you've got to step out and you've got to welcome Jesus in to your pain. You got to welcome Jesus into your problems. You got to welcome Jesus into your pressure. You got to welcome Jesus into those people that stir you up and tick you off. You got to welcome Jesus in and say, Jesus, you be a part of this. And he'll say, you will experience peace like the preacher can't explain away. Now, let me give you some practical ways to kind of invite this in. Let me give you some ways in which you can experience Jesus' peace, some ideas on how to get this done. Here's where it starts. It starts with regularly taking an inventory. Regularly taking an inventory. What are the things in my life that just don't need to be in my life? Like, what are the things? Like, write this. I need to stop and evaluate. Stop and evaluate what I am doing. Because I only have so much time in the day. I only have so much life, so much life to give. Like my birth certificate did not come with an expiration date. Did yours? Like I don't know when this is all going to be finite. I have no idea. And so I need to be reminded that every single day I need to live with, and here's the word, here's the key to this, intentional with my time. Intentional with my time. Some of your parents are looking at me like, yeah, my kids are out of the house. I should have been more intentional with my time. Some of you are looking at me and you're saying, you know what? I had some parents that I really should have been more intentional with my time to, instead of taking them for granted. Today, become more intentional with your time. It, it's pretty easy. It starts by taking inventory. What are the things that aren't going to last? What are the things that don't have much meaning in this world? Like, you got to evaluate it. Is this worth doing? 
You see, I want to be a world changer. I, I want to be nothing less than a world changer. I can't be a world changer if I'm a time waster. I got to be intentional with my time. So I got to evaluate everything that I'm doing, determine if it's worth doing. Here's how David looked at it. King David, he assessed it like this. He said, God, would you just help me to remind, remind me how brief my time is on earth? We do this. Like when we're in a funeral, we sit there and we look at the, the casket and we process all the things that we just go, that's just not worth my time. Like I only have so many years left, so much time left. And so what is going to be worth it? And we start to reprioritize and then we walk out of the funeral and, and we just don't do anything about it. We, just, we forget to list down the inventory and make it right. David says, you, God, just keep reminding me how short my time is. Re remind me the days are numbered, how fleeting my life is, that you've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. That's, that's pretty short stuff. My entire life is just a moment at, to, to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. James in the New Testament, James, James is half-brother of Jesus. Here's what he wrote. He said, life is, our life is like a mist. It's here today, and then, then it's gone tomorrow. It's like it goes that Quick, you know when I was in elementary school, every second seemed like an hour, but now that I'm an adult, every hour seems like a second. And it just flies on by. Take inventory. What activities are you involved in that you just don't need to be involved in? And, and you're saying, well, how do I get there? Ask yourself some questions. Question number one, is this worth my time, talent, and is this worth my treasure? Is this worth my time, talent, and treasure? Well, I look back one day on my deathbed and say, that was worth it. How about this? Better way to filter. Here's a better filter. If... Uh, well, actually, ask this question. Will it matter 100 years from now? Will it matter 100 years from now? Some of you guys like, have the two-year test for the things that are stored in your basement. Some of you are looking at it like I'm crazy because you're a hoarder and you don't know this method yet. Right? The two-year test, that means like if I haven't used it in two years and it's been in my basement, I haven't touched it, seen it, used it. When it comes time to clean the basement, you're going, I don't even know what that means. Clean the basement? When it comes time to clean the basement... You have terminology like, like this. You say, I don't know where it's going, but it can't stay here. I know that much, right? It's got to go. It's got to get out of my house. Its days are numbered. Friends, time goes by so fast. You're going to have to start offloading some things that don't mean any difference in 100 years from now to start focusing and priorities on some things that do. So I have this belief, this, this belief I want to share with you. The belief is it's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Simple. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. And it comes from a biblical principle, a biblical principle that helps us to focus on eliminating the things that are right, or eliminating the things that are wrong, rather, and, and focusing on the things that are right. It's sometimes called one-handed living. One-handed living. Oh, you know what I'm saying. We are so full of things to do that our hands are full. You use it, my hands are full. I just don't, I can't help. My hands are full. Or my hands are tied, I just got so much going on. Or I'm just overwhelmed with all the things in my hands to do. There's a guy by the name of Solomon. He wrote sections of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, he prayed to God and God answered his prayer. And God said, what, what would you like for me to do? How would you like me to bless your life? And Solomon said, I want to be wise beyond anybody else on earth. And God said, done deal. And Solomon shared with us bits of wisdom in Proverbs and one book called Ecclesiastes. Here's one of the bits of wisdom he shared. He said, better one handful with tranquility, one handful with peace, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And from that comes this principle of living called one-handed living. It is better have one hand filled with peace and filled with the right stuff than two handfuls filled with hustle and busyness. Or how about putting it like this? Better to be productive with with a little 
Better be productive with a little than to be so busy and non-productive with a lot. How about this? Better to have calm than it is to have chaos. But we don't live like this. We don't live one-handed. We've been conditioned to believe that one-handed living is counterproductive to us. And so we have this thought that if one thing is good, two things are better. So we say things like, uh, if $1 is good, what? $2 is better. If one Krispy Kreme donut is good, two Krispy Kreme donuts are better. If one car is good, two cars is better. If one kid is good, okay, the equation doesn't work on everything. Some things, but not everything. One-handed, one-handed living. Better to have one handful full of peace than two handfuls of busyness, of chaos, after chasing the wind, after looking back in 100 years and saying, that didn't amount to anything. So how do I get there? You've got to reprioritize, you got to reprioritize some things in your life, the, the important things. You've got to boil those things down and just say, hey, I want, I want some things to outlast me here. I'm going to start learning to live with less and start doing less. And you're going, that sounds so counterproductive. Living with less and doing less that's what one-handed living is all about. That's what the wisest man had told us to do. Start living with less and doing less. You're saying it's so counterproductive. You say, I'm, I'm so busy, though. And, and I'd say, you're so busy, but are you productive? Are you productive? Better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. One-handed, one-handed living teaches us just to, to let go, let go. You're saying, boy, that just doesn't make sense to me because two are better than one. And, and God says, no, no, prioritize and put the stuff that has meaning right here in this hand. And you say, yeah, but I got an extra hand. And God says, perfect. You know why you have that extra hand? Because for too long, you've been too busy doing your own thing that you couldn't help anybody else. And you're going to use this other hand. You're going to use this other hand to make a difference at church. And you're going to use this other hand to make a difference to your neighborhood. You're going to use this other hand to make a difference to your spouse, make a difference to your children, make a difference to your family, to make a difference to your friend, to make a difference at home. Some of us are so filled up and have our hands so full that we don't have time for anybody else but ourselves and for our schedule and for our busyness and for our running around. And you wonder why you're not being blessed and you wonder why you're not feeling joy and you wonder why you're not at peace because you are so busy running around taking things, care of things that are in your own handfuls that you're not able to help others, which is what we're called to do. And we're only going to feel right when we're, we're living by design not by default. You know what design is? To love God and to love others. You know what default is? Selfishness. And that's two-handed living. And God says, would you just get it right? Free up one hand. Prioritize the stuff so you can get it down to one hand so you can free up another hand to make a difference in the lives of others. But you gotta be willing to let go of some things. You gotta find out what can I cut back? What can I throw out? What can I turn off? Like, how do you get down to one-handed living? You can only answer that question. You can only prioritize what is important. But may I say this to you? Maybe just give a pastoral advice to you. As people of God, the top priority that fits in our one hand is our relationship with Jesus. And I say that to you because sometimes we get our hands so full and it becomes so unintentional. So unintentional. We don't mean for this to happen. Our lives just come so full that we... We lose grip of our relationship with Christ. And some of you are like, I feel that way this last year. I feel like I've lost grip. I feel like I'm just not there like I once was. And I'd say, it's because you're living a life that's too full, 
trying to cram too much into too little of time, and you've lost your first love. You've lost the priority, and it wasn't intentional. You just had your hands full, and when you have your hands full, you can't hold tight to something that is important to you. And I think you're going to have to make some hard decisions. I think it's another part of this. Okay, so you can make hard decisions, and you learn one-handed living, but hard decisions, many times the hardest thing is the right thing. Have you discovered that? The hardest thing is the right thing. It's easier to make a bad decision than a wise decision. I found that out in college. Right? So you're like, what? Yeah. You probably found that out in high school and college too. It's easier to make the bad decision than it is to make the wise decision. Friend, listen, a wise decision might be that you cut back your hours at work to prioritize your family. That's a wise decision, but that's a hard decision. A wise decision might be that you wake up 30 minutes before you normally wake up so that you can read God's word a little bit and so that you can pray. And you say, well, I got a short night. I know that's a hard decision, but it's a, but it's a wise decision. Some of you are in this room, you're just hoping that you will cope with your lifestyle. You're just hoping it all works out, you'll cope with your lifestyle, but you can't cope. You have to change. You have to change. You can't you can't continue this kind of pressure. You can't continue this kind of stress. And it's not just killing you physically. It's killing you emotionally. And, and, and most importantly, it's breaking you down and wearing you thin spiritually. It doesn't all, it doesn't all fit. And, and you're feeling stressed and pressured every day. Let me tell you, the, the pace you're going right now is doable, but it's not sustainable. And a lot of you are like, well, I'm a multitasker. I can handle this, and it's just for a season. Like, I have a seasonal approach. I have a seasonal approach, too. And guess what? This season has now lasted into now decades. And I'm finding now that anything I say, well, it's just going to be for a season, has turned permanent into my life. And it just begins, the, the, the molehill becomes the mountain awfully quick when it comes to pressures and stresses in life. You know what Job said? Here's what Job said. He was kind of having a reset moment in his life. Everything was taken away from him. And he sat there and he, he's like, God, let's just have a do-over, a mulligan. God. And he looked at his life and said, my days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without me seeing any joy. And I know what you're thinking. I could have wrote that. Because I, I can write that. Because there are days where it feels like it, things are just a blur and I'm not getting any joy out of the day. Actually, I'm getting so exhausted here. When my bed, when my head hits the pillow, I'm thinking, thank God I just can fall asleep and forget about this only to wake up and do it again. Friends, if your pace of your life is stealing your joy, you got to make some changes. If the pace of your life is stealing your joy, you got to make some changes. And let me give you the most important reason why you should make this change. If things are running by and things are a blur, is because you're being worn down physically, you're being worn down emotionally, and when you're worn down physically and emotionally, your spiritual life suffers because of it. Your spiritual life suffers. Don't be so foolish to think that your physical, your physical exhaustion doesn't affect your spiritual depletion because the two go hand in hand. You remember the night before Jesus was crucified? That Thursday night, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and he prayed. He took those that were close to them and they walked to the Mount of Olives and he told those close, he said, would you wait here, keep watch, and would you pray? And Jesus moved a little bit further down the path and Jesus prayed and when he stopped praying, he came back to, to find those disciples. Do you remember their condition? 
asleep. Do you remember what they said as an excuse to Jesus? Do you remember their excuse? Jesus, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. That was their admittance. And Jesus, we are physically exhausted. Because we're physically exhausted, we were depleted spiritually. We couldn't live up to the challenges spiritually. Oh, I've been there. You've been there. Like your, your, your life just is running ragged, right? You feel like you're going four directions at the same time. You have one of those days or you have one of those weeks and, and then small group night comes. You know what I say to Kelly? I say, I don't want to go to small group tonight. I'm exhausted emotionally and physically. You know what she says? You got to go. Put on your big boy pants. We're going, right? She's like way more Christian than I am. I'm thinking, but honey, aren't you tired too? You know, trying to get her to stay home. She's like, you got you to lead it. You got to be there. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My spiritual life can quickly become depleted because my, my physical life is taking a toll. I, I read a study uh, very recently about some claims about uh, U.S. soldiers and Marines that they're finding out that they're shrinking in height, shrinking in height. Like they, they are entering service one height, but then after four years of being deployed and wearing 65 to 100-pound packs, they're leaving the service one inch shorter. Pentagon spokesperson says, you know what? This is just one of the sacrifices the soldiers and Marines make, meaning we don't have a cure for this. What they've discovered is if you carry heavy weight on your shoulders for too long, it will distort your body. Did you catch that? If you carry weight too long, heavy weight on your shoulders for too long, it will distort your body. If that is true physically, that's also true spiritually. If you carry weight on your shoulders for too long, it has the power to crush your spirit and to shrink your spiritual life. Friends, here's what I'm saying. It's time to unpack some things in our life. It's time to release the load, the busyness, the enlighten this load and give, give God what is his and the burdens and decompress. And you're going, I don't know how to do that. God says, I have shown you how to do that. From the very beginnings in Genesis, God has shown us how to find rest. It's called the Sabbath. So we're like, yeah, but that's Old Testament stuff. That's law stuff. No, it's not. That continues on. Just a day of rest in your week where you say, that's a day where I can just check out from problems. That's a day where I can just, just, just relax and decompress here for a minute. In Genesis chapter 2, we're introduced to what the Sabbath is. Remember what God did? Day one, two, three, four, five, and six, he created the heavens and the earth. He created all the living creatures. He created mankind. And he sat back and said, this is good. On day seven, what did he do? He took a day of rest. Friends, if that is our all-powerful, all-powerful God, unlimited God, if he thought it was best to take one out of seven days to rest, how much more days should you take off to rest? Like He says, let me set the standard here for you. Everyone needs rest. Even an almighty, powerful God, you need rest too. If you want to decompress from stress, you're going to have to make some hard decisions though. Like hard decision number one, do I run around on Sundays trying to find some kind of entertainment after church, driving everywhere to find it, or do I just go home and relax? That's a challenge for some of you. Do do I use Sunday to grab some extra overtime at work, or do I allow Sunday to be a day of rest? Friends, let me just be blunt. Your spiritual life suffers when you're physically and emotionally exhausted. And I just want you to think of all the things that you could do spiritually if you just took some rest and let your spirit catch up to your body.
experience peace. To experience peace, I've got to make some hard decisions. Let me give you this last one. To experience peace, I'm just going to have to give my burdens to God. I'm going to have to give my burdens to God. I have this belief that it's not just the load that wears me down, it's the way I carry it. Let me say it again to you. I have this belief that it's not just the load that weighs me down, it's the way I carry it. If you think through that for a minute, you're going you're gonna to find that probably true in your life. That belief statement will come true to you. It's the way that you carry it. You carry too much. You carry things that were just never supposed to be your worry, never supposed to be your burden, never supposed to be on your shoulders. You know, we're trying to live with our hands full, and we've got to change that. We're loaded down, and we're holding on to too much, but we're also trying to take on burdens and worries that we can't stop, that we can't change, that we can't help. We're worrying about things that we can't stop, that we can't change, and that we can't help. Philippians chapter 4, let's go back to that for a second. It says, don't be anxious about anything. That word anxious, that word anxious is being pulled apart. It means to be pulled apart. It means that you haven't let God to be a part of the equation, that you're trying to solve an equation that you are incapable of solving on your own. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the power. And when we're anxious, here's what it does. It puts us in the middle. You know what it puts us in the middle of? Of hope and fear. And we're pulled. We say things like this when we're anxious. I hope I get the job, but I'm fearful my interview didn't go well. I'm anxious. I hope my kids one day come to the Lord, but I'm fearful. I haven't always been the best example of who Christ is at home. I'm anxious about the future. You know, that word anxious, to be pulled apart, also has some different aspects that go with it. It has the aspect of worry, and worry means to, to strangle us. I read a report years ago about Dr. Walbert Calvert's research. He did a study about worry. Here's what he discovered. 40% of the things we worry about will never happen. (laughs) Like you're worrying for no reason 40% of the time. 30% of our worries concern our past and we can't do anything about it. We're up to 70% now, people, okay? 70% of the things that we worry about, really, we can't do anything about. Then he says 12% of needless worries are about our health, but they're scares that will never happen. 10% 10% are inconsi- inconsi- uh, sorry, insignificant or petty. He says, really, what it comes down to is 8% of the things we worry about are legitimate worries. In other words, 92% of our worry, well, are about things that will never happen. How about give that 92% of the Lord? How about give it all to the Lord? And, and be reminded today, you can't change a thing, but God can. Let it be His worry. Let him lift your burdens. The word worry means to strangle. It means to squeeze the life out of you. And some of you are having the life squeezed out of you physically. Like, here's some of the physical tolls of worry. Just listen to this. Insomnia, heart attacks, headaches, migraines, depression, muscle tension, anxiety disorder. You know, it's funny. I never had any of those symptoms until I had five boys in my house. In our household, worry has a name. His name is William. That's his name. (laughs) But anxiety, anxiety is not only just, it just hurts us physically. Friends, it hurts us spiritually, and that's why we're talking about it today. And Jesus made us aware of this. He talked about this parable where he talked about scattering the gospel, scattering the gospel, how worry can steal our salvation. Did you hear me right? Not steal your joy, not just steal your peace, steal your salvation. He could choke it right out of you. He talks about scattering the seeds of the gospel, and some of that gospel seed fell on the good soil, and it produced a harvest. But you know, some, some of that, that seed fell on some rocky places. Some of that 
seed fell into the thorns and into the weeds. And here's what he says about the, the seed that fell into the thorns. He says, the seed that fell amongst the thorns stands for those who hear, like they accept God's word, but as they go on their way, what happens? They're choked by life's worries. God, I got my hands so full that I don't have any room to grab on to you and your promises. That worry can actually choke the salvation out of us. It squeezes the life out of us physically and spiritually. Friends, worry's going to ruin your life. It's, it's not a t- enough to just tell yourself, quit worrying. You ever tried that? Like you've been driving your car, like, stop worrying, stop worrying. No, you can't. You can't tell yourself to stop worrying because worry and peace are both an inside job. They're both an inside job. So what's the cure? What's the cure to worry? What's the cure to the stress stuff? It goes back to Philippians 4. God always gives us the cure on this stuff. Don't be anxious about anything, but what? But in every situation, you've got to welcome Jesus into every situation. Welcome Jesus into every situation. There it is. Because peace isn't something that he possesses. Peace is who he is. And you welcome Jesus into every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. What am I to do? By prayer and petition, I'm going to give things over to God. I'm going to hand things over to the Lord in prayer. Just think. Just think how your life would be if you prayed as much as you worried. I'm just going to start handing some things over to the Lord. God's cure for worry is prayer. To welcome God's peace in your, pray, in your life. God, would you come and be a part of this situation? There's no situation too small for you. You come and be a part of this because I need your peace. And I'm handing this off to you because you know what? The anxieties and the worries that I've had here, I can't change a thing, but you can. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, pray and you let God worry. See, Jesus, Jesus gives us an invitation to him. For all those that worry, for all those that have stresses, for all those that have pain, problems, and people in their life that, that are problematic, he gives us this incredible invitation. Here's what he says. You come to me. What do we have to do? We got to get Jesus. We have to be in his presence. We have to be in his presence. All you who are weary and burdened, and friend, I will give you rest. See, Jesus does not possess peace. Jesus is peace. You welcome him to your life, and you will experience peace like you've never experienced before. And the only way to know peace, my friend, is to know Jesus.